over the last few years, I have found that uh, I have taken to cooking. I have a, a limited repertoire, but I am slowly adding to my, my culinary craftiness. And one of the things that I've noticed is that as I've taken to cooking, I, I love to watch old shows of, of the show Chopped from the Food Network. Uh, maybe you, you've seen the show. Uh, chefs compete to see who can make a gourmet dish out of the wildest ingredients from a mystery basket. Like, they often have weird combinations like, you know, turnips or dried shrimp or tortilla chips, something like that. And you put that all together and you, you make a dish. And one of my favorite techniques is when the contestants, when they take one ingredient, let's say like a, like a duck liver or something like that. I've never had duck liver, but if you have, you know, maybe you like it. And, and they, they, they uh, make it three ways, like they, they fry it or they'll puree it or, or they'll saute it or something like that. The, chef, the, the judges really like it when they do that. Well, today we wrap up our series, uh, Faith in Action, which is based on excerpts from the book of James. James is a book of very, very practical wisdom, how we can put our faith into action. And James, who was the little brother of Jesus, addresses challenges that were facing the first century church. It seems like uh, this church was just in a hot mess. They were dealing with, with suffering. They were dealing with temptation and sin, dealing with division in relationships, dealing with false teachings and cultural accommodation and favoritism, the mistreatment of the poor. They're dealing with the power of words and the abuse of power in general. Now, as we have this basket, if you will, of challenging ingredients, James closes us out, the whole letter, by telling us there is an ingredient to the life of faith. One ingredient that can be elevated and applied to our lives in so many different ways. And this ingredient brings strength and healing and mercy and power. And that is the ingredient of prayer. Of prayer. And in our closing text, James suggests we apply it three ways. There are many, many other ways. But in this text, he suggests three. So let's read the text together. Uh, let me invite you to turn or launch your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we'll read the closing verses of this letter, which are verses 13 through 20. He writes this, If anyone among you, is anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Prayer applied three ways. The first way we see is prayer in a time of suffering. James returns to this theme that he opened the entire letter with, and that's the theme of suffering or trouble or adversity. The reality is that we're all going to experience adversity or 
suffering or trouble in some form. And in the context of this letter, James is, is certainly addressing Christians who are facing suffering from persecution. Now, it's interesting, uh, he separates the suffering from suffering from sickness because the word here used for trouble is used not necessarily for sickness. It is used to indicate a person who is having the experience of enduring suffering. And so when he talks about this idea of trouble or adversity, he's talking about staying in there when you are suffering. Maybe it's a person who's going through an intense time of loneliness, or maybe it's someone who feels left out or misunderstood. Maybe it's someone in the deep, dark valley of grief, or someone trying to endure financial hardship or job loss, or certainly, as in James's situation, persecution for the faith, trouble, adversity, enduring. Now, I think it's helpful for us as we wrap up this letter to just think again about this idea of suffering uh, and this idea of how God comes to us. No one wants to suffer. No one gets up in the morning and says, I'll take a couple doses of suffering today. And we know and, and we have all heard of people who have intense moments, an intense season of suffering that we can't even sometimes begin to fathom. Like, how in the world did they hold up? It's hard to imagine the anguish of the families of Buffalo or Uvalde or Laguna or Tulsa and on and on and on. This past week I read the story of 80-year-old Julian Moreno. He's the former pastor of Primera Iglesia Bautista in Uvalde. And last Sunday he took to the pulpit to comfort the congregation there. It's a 113-year-old church there in Uvalde. The church lost two young students in the shooting. One was his great-granddaughter, and her name was Lexia, Lexi Rubio. And he said that she wanted two things in life. Uh, she wanted to be a lawyer one day, and she wanted to go to Australia. He said, I don't understand why she wanted to go to Australia. Um, and he said that he was out working in his garden when he heard the gunshots. And he said right away he knew it was a high-powered rifle because he, he, the sound. And he said that when he heard the shooter had gone into the school, he prayed for a miracle. And he said, he said, but God, if not a miracle, help me overcome. If not a miracle, help me overcome. Help me endure the time of suffering. He prayed for the strength. We all know, deep down, we know that God does not shield us from adversity. We know that God does not shield us from suffering. And we know that God does not cause the evil like we've seen in our country over the past few weeks and also around the world in wars and other ways. What we do know is that God will draw near to us in a time of suffering. And what we do know is if we open our hearts and we make ourselves available to the work of God, that God will pour His spiritual graces in us in a time of of suffering, and that God will draw us near to Him, and God will just pour, pour graces like mercy and, and His peace that passes human understanding. He'll pour graces like perseverance and endurance and His love. And what's so fascinating in these moments that God will even use these moments like this 
to help us see our life as God sees our life, to help us see our relationships the way God sees our relationships. God will use even these times to to help us to prioritize, to draw us away from the things of the world and into His side. God comes to us when we suffer. Hannah Moore, who lived in 18th century England and worked with John Newton to campaign for the end of the slave trade, wrote this, Affliction is the school in which great virtues are acquired and in which great characters are formed. We do not hear of military heroes in peacetime, nor the most distinguished saints in the quiet and untroubled periods of church history. The courage in the warrior and the devotion in the saint continue to survive, ready to be brought into action when perils beset the country or trials assail the church. And so it would be our temptation in times of trouble, adversity, and suffering. It would be our temptation to become angry on one hand, or it would be our temptation just to throw our hands up in resignation on the other and say, there's just nothing I can do about it. If we become angry, our souls become bitter. If we throw our hands up and say, there's nothing I can do about it, it it dims and darkens our view of life and our vision for what God wants for us. There's a third way. And James commends this third way, and that's we can pray. We can pray. James doesn't advocate even that we pray necessarily for the removal of suffering. Nothing wrong with that. But that the focus is to pray for endurance, to endure and to stay faithful and to make it through. Now, before we move on to our second application, notice that James says this. He says, if you're happy, give praise to God. Now, how does he go from suffering or trouble to happy? What he does here is the word used for happy is not a, a superficial happiness. Like, like I might say, I'm happy because the Nats finally won a game this year. It's been a, a long year and we're only a third of the way through. It's going to be a long summer. But no, the word used here is to describe a deep, deep peace that allows us to go to a place of contentment even when we experience trouble and adversity and suffering. He says, praise God. Praise God for the way God comes to us. So let me ask you a gentle question or gentle questions this morning. Are you experiencing suffering right now, adversity or trouble? Will you trust God to give you all you need to persevere? James moves on though. There's another application to this ingredient of prayer, and that is prayer in a time of sickness. James continues to write that if anyone is sick, they should call the elders, and the elders should come, and the elders, by the way, is another word for church leaders, that they should call the elders, and the elders should pray over them and anoint them with oil. James holds out the promise of healing and forgiveness of sin. Now, when it comes to prayer for healing, people have all kinds of of questions and concerns and ideas. We've seen false teachers and charlatans promise that if you'll just send them a little bit of money, and if you just have just enough faith to be healed, then you will be healed. And they take advantage of people in times of sickness, and they're going to have to answer to God for that. These kinds of people make others suspicious and skeptical, not only of of, of God's power to heal, but of of faith and of Christians in general. 
Then there are some of us who come to this subject with a sense of openness, but with a lot of questions. Do I have enough faith to be healed? Please know that healing comes from God and God alone. We offer prayers for healing to God in faith, but the healing does not rest on the faith of the person who needs to be healed, or it doesn't rest on the faith of the person who is praying. It's God's power and God's power alone. Do I have to have a a certain kind of oil? Like he says, you know, anoint with oil. No. Again, healing comes from the power of God, not the oil we we find to use. The oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit, as we we learned today. Can you do it again? So H and then, you got it, yeah. Some of you got it. It comes from the, the oil represents the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So it, it doesn't have to be a certain kind of oil. Why is sin mentioned with sickness? That's a big question that comes up with this text, isn't it? Jesus, both Jesus and James mentions them together at times. In Matthew chapter 9, some guys uh, bring a man to Jesus on a mat who is paralyzed. And Jesus first says to this man, your sins are forgiven And then after a dialogue with the religious leaders, he says, okay, now take up your mat and go home. Yet in another episode in the life of Jesus, Jesus heals a blind man, and people ask him, who caused his blindness? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, none, none. James here mashes them together, healing for sickness and forgiveness of sin. What's going on? Let me paraphrase uh, N.T. right here. When someone prays for healing, they are inviting the presence of God into their lives. When someone prays for healing, they are basically desiring for the veil between heaven and earth to be pushed aside and to have an encounter with the holy God. When we do this, when we invite an encounter with God, such as to ask for God to touch our bodies and heal us. When we do this, we should bow our hearts in submission to God and ask God to forgive us of our sins. We should confess our sins to God and desire spiritual healing as well as the healing of our bodies. Does this mean that if you confess your sin and ask God to forgive you of your sins, then you will be healed physically? That's not guaranteed. We are not guaranteed physical healing this side of eternity. We're not. But we are always guaranteed spiritual healing. We are always guaranteed the forgiveness of our sins. We are always guaranteed that God will come and cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and God is just to forgive us and to purify us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Richard Foster shared a story about his first experience with healing prayer. It involved a man who commanded 33 troops in World War II. And one night in battle, they were pinned down under gunfire. And this man prayed to God all night. He prayed to God that God would spare his troops. Only six troops and this man survived. This man then became uh, an avowed atheist, and it left him uh, unable to sleep for, for decades. He encountered Foster, and Foster said, can I pray for you? And 
the man agreed. And so Foster prayed for him. And then at the end of the prayer, Richard Foster almost, he said, he, said he, he just added this sort of as an add-on, you know, a, a tagline before the amen. And he said, and let him have a good night's sleep tonight. Well, the man came back to Foster a week later. He said he's been sleeping soundly every single night and he wakes up every single morning singing a hymn. He said, I am happy, happy for the first time in 28 years. That's healing. Healing comes to us in the form of physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing, and yes, spiritual healing. So gentle question here. Are you sick? Will you ask the leaders to anoint you with oil and pray for you? If you're sick, ask for prayer and believe and trust that God will answer that prayer according to His will, according to His desires, and according to His plan for your life. The third application here is prayer and sin. We've leaned into this a bit, but we need to see that James adds a twist. We know that any time we talk about the idea of confession, that that, that prayer should go to God. That, that is, prayer is a form, uh, confession, excuse me, is a pr- form of prayer to God. But then at, James adds a twist that we are to confess our sins to God and to one another. Confess our sins to God and to one another. Who wants to start? No, I'm, I'm kidding. Just seeing if you're with me. Is everybody with me? Okay. Everybody with me in the room, squirming a little bit, getting uncomfortable. James here, why is he saying this? He's describing the depths of spiritual community, of how God envisions the church to really be. You know, one trait in our culture is invulnerability. We like to seem as if we have everything together. And the last thing that we want to do is confess weakness and sin to someone else. And quite frankly, this is understandable. There have been people who have been burned by gossip and judgmental attitudes by petty, small, critical people. And so people just build up a shell and they don't want to share their vulnerabilities with someone else. When you confess sin to another person, you need to make sure they are a trustworthy vessel of your vulnerability. Let me say that again. When you confess your sin to another person, you need to make sure they are a trustworthy vessel for your vulnerability. And when you find that, what you find is the ideal spiritual community. You find a community of disciples that not only cares about one another in times of trouble and adversity, and not only cares about one another in times of sickness, but also a spiritual community that cares for each other and cares for the faith journey of each person and would pray deeply for someone when they go astray. Remember, this church to whom James wrote struggled with power politics. They struggled with division. To be able to go to a place of vulnerability as it relates to spiritual struggles and as it relates to sin, that just levels the playing field when you think about it. Imagine a wealthy person confessing their sin of greed to someone who is poor. 
Imagine a poor person confessing their sin of envy to a wealthy person. This is the kind of vulnerability, this is the kind of spiritual community that James had in mind. And there's something about when you go to that place of trusting another person with your spiritual journey, it increases your faith, it reminds you of the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God, it allows you to release guilt, and it reminds you of your common humanity with one another. You know, I often tell people there are two great myths. Well, there's probably a lot more than two, but there are two great myths. No one is like me, or everybody is like me. The myth everybody is like me, no, your situation is unique to you, and it's important to you. Don't diminish it. No one is like me. Claim 1 Corinthians, right? 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to humankind. And when you're tempted, God will give you a way to stand up under that temptation. And so when we have those trusted relationships, those myths are busted. We're returned to the path of faithfulness with a trusted person and we continue the journey of faith. I love how James closes. I won't get geeky on the the food analogy, but at the end, often a really good chef will just swirl a sauce on the plate. I haven't gotten that down yet. I'm lucky to get the food on the plate. But he ends with this entire celebration of the prayer of the righteous, that the prayer of the righteous availeth much. He gives the example of Elijah as an encouragement. And then he says, anyone who helps someone get back on the path, what joy, what praise, what honor that is. And thus, this letter of challenge, this letter of encouragement to these first century Christians, it just comes to a close. Prayer, three ways. Prayer to endure suffering faithfully. Prayer to be healed from sickness according to the will of God. Prayer as confession of sin. Indeed, prayer is faith in action. So no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter why you need prayer, I invite you to lift and to offer your prayers to God. Amen.